0: You're listening to a sermon from Low Country Community Church. We pray God uses it to help you grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like more resources or to give to our ministry, please visit our website at lowcountrycc.org. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly uploads Well, good morning. So good to be with you this morning. Whether you're in the room, in the concourse, or online, we just want to say thank you for worshiping with us here at LCC. My name is Anthony Lucarini. I'm the student pastor. I got to give just a shout out to the student section in the front two rows this morning. Welcome, students. We've been in the book of Romans for the last little while. We're going to continue in that this morning. I'm going to be diving into chapter 2. Pastor Jeff concluded Romans chapter 1 last week. And this morning, I would just love as a church body, if we can just honor Pastor Jeff. That was not an easy passage to preach last week. And I think he did it with such grace and such excellence. So Pastor Jeff, we love you so much. We honor you. Thank you so, so much. And like I said, we're going to be diving into Romans 2 this morning. But first, I'd love to just pray over our time together. Jesus, we love you. That's why we're here. That's why we're gathered. Pray that as we um, open up your word this morning, that you would move through it, that you would illuminate words off the page, God, that it wouldn't be my teaching, that it wouldn't be anything of mine, Lord, that this would just be uh, your word spoken through me. So God, we, we trust you to do that this morning. We love you so much, and everyone said amen. Well I want to start off our time with a question. How many of you guys have siblings? Show of hands if you have siblings. Okay a lot of the room. Keep your hands raised if you are an older sibling. You have younger siblings. Okay awesome. Love it. We are in the same company. Younger siblings. This is targeted at you this morning. Um, There's going to be a picture on the screen of my little brothers Josh and Dominic and everybody said Aww. Now what you're seeing here is just one of those rare moments that parents just live for. This is one of those pictures that's been just, you know, if it's in my mom's camera roll, it's favorited. Moms, you have those. Um, This was not reality at all times. If you have siblings, you know that this is a rarity. My little brothers, I don't know if this is just a younger sibling thing. It's got to be. They decided to team up on me. They just wanted to get me in trouble at all times for any reason. They did this thing. um, Younger siblings, if you do this, Answer me why, where they would literally like fall down on the ground and go, mom, mom. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, what are you talking about? They would literally pretend that I would hit them just to get me. I don't, I don't get it. Younger siblings, you're a different breed. <laughs> we love you, but I don't understand you. But uh, my, my little brothers would do this thing where um, they would just try to get me in trouble at all times for any reason. If I would slip up in any way, there was no like, let me just address the situation. Let me just ask what you meant. No, it was mom, mom. So mom would come running into the room. And of course, I would get the talk, Anthony, you're the older brother. I need you to be mature here. I need you to lead your brother. Stop hitting him. Stop bullying him. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mom's talking to me over here. and She did this mom thing that is apparently not a dad skill. Like since becoming a dad, I don't have this skill. Moms, this is yours. I don't. Get it? It's the like eyes in the back of the head thing. She'll, talk to, she'll be talking to me over here. Little brothers will be behind me. And she's like, hey, I saw that because they're over there smirking. Little siblings, you, you know this. Like you're, you're laughing. You enjoy when the older sibling gets in trouble. I don't understand. They're over here smirking. Mom would always do this thing. Again, just I see that over there. Don't worry. It's your turn. And then for all the siblings in the room, there was justice. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where mom would turn to them and say, it's your turn. Stop tattletaling. Stop doing this. You know, work it out together. And all the older siblings said, Amen. Just a little bit of justice. Well, in our passage this morning, We're going to see Paul kind of do the same thing. Last week and throughout the book of Romans, he's talking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles are people who are just not Jews, but he's been speaking to both groups of people. And specifically in our passage this morning, he's going to be focusing primarily on the Jewish Christians. It's their time where he's saying, hey, it is your turn that I'm going to have to speak directly to you. Before we dive back into the book of Romans, I want to give us just a reminder of the backdrop of what's happening. How many of you guys were here week one of the series where we watched the right now or the, the video that explained all of Romans? Okay, I'm not going to assume that everybody was here. Let me just give just a little bit of context. Now, the early Roman church, that is who the book of Romans is written to. Get it? Romans, Church of Rome, that's where that name comes from. Paul's writing it to them. This early church is made up of house churches of both Jews and Gentiles, but it's primarily early on. Jewish Christians. So naturally, as they are reforming over from Judaism to Christianity, because remember, Judaism is kind of where our roots come from, um, these house churches have a lot of roots um, and a lot of traditions, a lot of rituals that will go back to Judaism. Now, AD 49, Emperor Claudius completely kicked the Jews out of Rome. This means Jewish Christians as well. But five years later, Claudius dies and these Jewish Christians start to return to Rome, and what they're seeing, what they're finding is their, their churches are no longer Jewish. Now, of course, these are Christian churches, but again, with the Jewish traditions, it really had a Jewish bent to them. After five years of their absence, they come back, and they're like, hold on, this isn't what it looked like when we left the first time, and this is what Paul is having to address here, because now we have a clash of cultures. You've got the Jews, and you've got the non-Jews who are trying to form one church together, and it's Beautiful and a mess. And that is what Paul is having to address here. So let's just keep that in the back of our minds. So Romans 2 opens up with one word that transitions us perfectly. Look back at last week and step forward into the message this morning. Romans 2.1 starts with this one word, therefore. Now to all my Bible scholars in the room and my theologians, whenever you see the word therefore, it begs us to ask the question, what is it? Therefore, let's talk about it. At the end of Romans 1, Paul is addressing those who have rejected God. These are people who, according to verse 21, knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. Therefore, God gave, gave them over to their lusts and their passions and their depravity of mind. And Paul teaches them that this way of living, it comes with a physical cost, a mental cost, and a spiritual cost. Paul ends the chapter, ends chapter 1, listing 21 attributes Of those living in the sin or living in sin and rejecting God. What we're gonna see here is this Paul's words are no longer directly towards those who were living in sin previously. Now he's speaking to the people who are looking down at those people, pointing at their sins, saying that I'm a better sinner than you. That is who Paul is talking about now. So let's dive in just a little bit. Romans 2, starting in verse 1. There's that word, therefore. You have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, but do you suppose this, you foolish person, who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God... Leads you to repentance. Again, historically, contextually, the Jews are back in town, and with them, they've got their tradition, they've got their rules, they've got their religiosity, and they're seeking to infuse their Jewish faith and this Jewish life back into the church. And there's such a beauty in this reintroduction. Again, our faith comes on the backbone of Judaism. However, Paul is having to address the hard parts of this regrafting of two cultures that are very different. Because along with the history and the culture and the depth coming from these Jewish roots, you also are getting the laws that these Jews have held in such high regards. Prior to Jesus, what they had was the law. They had this set of rules. They had this set of standards that they lived and died by. They said, if you meet the standards of this law, you're good. And if you don't, that's not a good thing. You're unclean. You're impure. You need to go repent. You need to take part in some ritual washing and cleansing. When the Jewish Christians come back to Rome, they bring their religious tradition, which the non-Jew, again, the Gentile believers in Rome, had not been living under. The Gentile Christians were like, hey, like, I know of this Jesus guy. I know that he saved my sins. I know that I put my trust in him, and that's, that's good. But that's, you know, I just started following like two days ago. I don't know what you're talking about with all these rules and religion that you're kind of bringing into this thing. How fair would it be to be judged under an expectation that you didn't know existed? I think that's why they have this really clear um, phrase in marriage or any healthy relationship, communication is key. How fair would it be, again, to be judged on an expectation we don't know? That's like saying around the house I could be taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, and cleaning out the garage, but my wife Liz has this expectation that she hasn't set on me, that no, you're supposed to be doing the dishwasher as well, you're supposed to be vacuuming, you're supposed to be feeding the dog. So what does that look like when the sink is full, when the floors are a mess, when the dog is begging for food because she hasn't been fed in three days, and I'm over here thinking I'm doing a good job. I'm like, hey, check out the lawn. Garage is looking great. But she's thinking that I'm neglecting my family because I haven't been doing the chores that she's thinking I'm supposed to be doing, but I have no even earthly idea that I'm supposed to be doing. And guys, I promise my marriage is fine. My home is fine. This is not a real thing. Everything's good. Babies are good. Everything's good. Don't worry. How unfair is that? when there's an expectation that is put in place that both sides don't see eye to eye on or agree with or even know are in place, that is what is happening here. And for this marriage between these Christian Jews and these Gentiles to work, for them to come together as one church body under one Lord, again, as as one church, there's got to be grace offered rather than judgment extended. That's what Paul's speaking to here. Let's Again, verse 1, therefore you have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment. You have no excuse. Literally, that phrase means no defense when you pass judgment. What is judgment? Judgment can be defined as I take my opinion and I force it onto you, and that's usually in a negative context. Paul is saying to the Jewish Christians, do you really think that like forcing your rules and your tradition onto them, is that the best thing for the church? Is that really going to help them come to Jesus, judging them for what they're doing wrong, even though they don't even know that they're doing it wrong, because they don't follow the same traditions and the set of rules? Do you really think that's benefiting the church as a whole? It's not. It's not helping them know Jesus. It's not helping them in their faith. All you're doing, actually, is opening yourself up to a stricter judgment. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Take a look at verse 4. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint, and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. How does God draw people to himself? It's a combination of these three things. Let's look at them and define them really fast. The first thing is kindness. That is simply God's goodness and his gentleness. You got kindness. Second thing is restraint, also translated as forbearance, meaning a good-natured tolerance that delays enforcing rights or privileges. Let me read that one more time. Restraint is a good-natured tolerance that delays enforcing rights or privileges. In other words, I'm gonna hold off on giving you what you deserve. Third thing here is patience. Now, most of us think of the word patience when we're standing in line too long. It is an active, everybody say active. It's not passive, it is active. An active endurance of opposition. Patience says what's happening goes against what I would like, but it gives time for that circumstance to change. So what do you get when you combine God's kindness, his patience, and his restraint? You get a God who understands our brokenness. You get a God who understands our complete bent towards sin. You get a God who understands that we're really bad at getting it right on the first time. Anybody else bad at getting it right on the first time? Me too. My hand is raised as well. We get a God who doesn't agree with our sinful decisions— However, he is willing to withdo our due consequences. He's willing to withhold our due consequences. Who's grateful for that this morning? And he's patient enough to give us time to figure it out. He's also present when we're ready to turn to him. And he's good to be right there when we get over, finally get over ourself enough to come running home to him. This is the love that turns a sinner into a saint. It's this love that makes way for grace to be extended, and this is the love that God set as an example for us because he first loved us, loved us, we ought to go and love others the same way. It is his kindness, not his judgment. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. Let's move to the next section here, starting in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will repay each person according to his deeds. Verse seven, to those who persevere in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, he will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of mankind who does evil for the Jew first and also for the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. What is Paul saying here? That's a lot. He's saying that God, in his righteousness, we should be really grateful for that, in his righteousness is going to judge the heart of each person. Upon that judgment, God is gonna render each one of us one of two things. One is gonna be eternal life. On the other hand, according to to Verse 8, option 2 is wrath and indignation. Pick, pick your path here. Which one do you want? This judgment is going to be based on what? According to verse 6, it says that God will repay each person according to their deeds. Now, this has kind of become a little bit of a problem in the church world because some people are saying, like, deeds, like your works, what you do. God's not giving you salvation based on what you do. It's based on your faith, right? And yes, here is what I think Paul is saying, and a lot of Bible scholars would agree with me. Just kidding. The Bible scholars say it, and I would agree with them. Our salvation comes by God's grace and is based on our faith in Jesus. Our works give evidence to our faith. Let me say it again our salvation comes by God's grace and is based on our faith in jesus it is our works that give evidence to our faith the book of james says that faith without works is dead let me just break it down another way how many eagles or chiefs fans do we have in the room okay a little more than the first service this is your time this is the time that we should know that you are an eagles fan or a chiefs fan if you are really really truly a fan of these two teams the woo that's coming from the back should be all of you we should know that you are fans right now i'm a panthers fan so let's just get that really clear we have nothing to cheer about right now you guys have something to cheer about so go ahead enjoy your week that's not even supposed to be a dig like who knows what happens at the end of the week could be chiefs could be eagles anyway this is the time that you should be giving evidence to you being a fan of one of these teams right we should know about this like, I feel like a lot of Eagles fans, you've got these testimonies. they like, yeah, you know, I grew up, and then I had my conversion experience. Let me share my testimony with you. Like, I went to a game one time, and I just felt like the Spirit of God put it in my heart that I'm supposed to be an Eagles fan for life, so fly, Eagles, fly, and just, <laughs> it's converted. And If you're truly an Eagles fan, you, you go into each year with this faith of, you know, this is our year, this is our chance, even when you have no chance, this year you do, good for you. Sorry, I'm not trying to make taste. (laughs) But again, you go into these seasons with, you know, this is where my faith lies. And if I really am an Eagles fan, there should be evidence to that, especially right now. What you say should reflect this. What you post online should reflect this. The conversations that you're in, the words that you choose, they should be reflected in the fact that you are cheering for the Eagles and they're doing really well right now. What you do on Sundays should be reflective of if you are a fan or not. Your Sunday afternoon should conclude of snacks, a nap, and watching the Eagles game. There should be evidence to back up that you are an Eagles fan. And in the same way, there should be evidence that backs up your faith. What I say should be impacted. What I post online should be impacted. The conversations I'm having, that should be reflected. What I do on Sunday, please be here on Sunday. That should impact your faith. And let me just, disclaimer, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. That's not an excuse to not come to church. The Super Bowl is at like 6 p.m. Come to church Sunday morning. Okay, I don't understand that excuse. Disclaimer, that's opinion. Let's get back to truth. So when God says that he's judging each person person according to his deeds, our deeds should back up our faith or said like this, an internal faith is evidenced by external living. And internal faith is evidenced by external living. What you believe should be seen. I don't understand the idea of a private Christian. I don't under, understand the idea of like, yeah, like they have faith, but it's kind of more of a personal faith. That personal faith needs to come out in a public way. That personal faith should not be a private faith. Yes, you have private and quiet times with God. Yes, you get in your prayer closet. Yes, you have space for you and God. However, the evidence of this needs to be examined. It needs to be seen by those who are around you. The people that are around you, who you spend the most time with, do they know that you follow Jesus because they should? Your family, the extended family that lives in another place, do they know that you follow Jesus because they should? What is happening internally needs to make its way externally. Let's move on to this last section. Verses 12 through 16, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. In that, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, these, their conscience testifying, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus. Let me break that down a little bit. It's a lot of a law and this and that. Remember context, we've got two backgrounds. You've got the Jewish Christians, again, who are still kind of wrestling with the pressure of how much of the law still needs to make its way into my faith. Because, again, background of Christianity, Judaism, how much of that needs to come in versus how much of that has Jesus fulfilled. But they're still living under the law. They're still learning how to not do this. Then you've got the Gentiles who know nothing of the law. They still don't understand that at all it's not really necessary for them Paul is saying all of us the jewish christians the gentile christians you me we have all sinned every one of us we all fall short we all miss the mark we miss the standard that God has set for us now this would be really offensive for the jews to hear they'd be like no 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 that's for them we've had the law again so we're righteous we're good we are above them because we've been doing it the right way for years and even now even though Jesus is coming into the picture we still have the law in Jesus. The, the Jewish people are right for a second here. The Gentiles don't know the law. That, that's what they're right about. But somehow, according to verse 14, they are performing what the law requires. Somehow, without even the knowledge of this law that the Jews have been operating forever, Gentiles have not had that. Paul's saying they've actually been doing it. Somehow they've been, they've been doing that. And the entire law gets broken down into two things by Jesus in Matthew twenty twenty two, 22. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Gentiles have been doing. That's what God calls us to do. Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, says it this way, that faith isn't easy, but it's simple. Faith is not easy, but it's simple. These Gentiles who have never had the law, they don't understand the law, they're doing the best they can to obey what they do know. And that's based on the evidence of God in creation, based on their moral conscience that they do have, based on just, hey, I think this is right and I think this is wrong. God has kind of renewed their mind and they're choosing right. Eugene Peterson says it like this in the Message Bible. Same verses, just different translation. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no right And wrong. Here's where we get some good truth that applied to the Jewish believers back then. It should hit us right in our seats right here this morning. The evidence of your faith has nothing to do with letting the words of Scripture hit your ears. It has everything to do with how those words work their way into our hearts and our actions. One more time. The evidence of your faith has nothing to do with letting the words of Scripture hit your ears. We can all do that. But what are you going to do with it? It has everything to do with how those words work their way into our hearts and into our actions. Let's bring this home real quick. How do we apply this? How do we bring this into our lives in 2023? Two quick things that I think we need to know. First thing we need to know is we need to know that we're sinners. When we see ourselves as better than, smarter than, more religious than, more spiritual than, and that's a comparison way, I am more this than this person, we lose all credibility to share Jesus with anybody. So that's not what God calls us to we need to come to the sobering reality that we are not perfect, that we have sinned, that we have fallen short, that we miss it. Again, that there's a standard that God has set that we're not hitting. Paul says later in Romans that all have sinned, that leaves no one out, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he follows that up later on in Romans with the truth that all sin leads to death. But luckily, while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. When we receive this truth and place our faith in Jesus, we move from sinner to sinner saved by grace. And only when we understand this, only when we take this posture, we begin to understand the gift of grace. We can come to the place where we are now givers of grace because we re- we've received it for ourselves rather than smarter sinners. When we do this life starts to look just a little bit different the people around us begin to look a little bit different they're not projects anymore they're not people to be argued with they're not people to have the moral or the mental high ground over this is not a competition anymore this is now those around you are now people to be loved again because if we've received grace we need to be givers of that same grace and it's from this heart posture that we can reveal the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience of God. And it's from this heart posture that we can see God's kindness and how it leads those around us to repentance. Second thing we need to know, last thing for this morning, we need to know God's word and we need to live it out. Not just one, but both, both those things. We need to know God's word and we need to live it out. Knowledge is nothing if it is not knowledge applied. Knowledge is worthless if it is not applied. We can memorize all the Bible verses. We can do the 30-day shred, which is reading the Bible in a month. We can do the Bible plan in a year. We can read all the Christian authors, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, J.I. Packer, Jeff Cranston, brownie points. Love you, Jeff. We can go to all the conferences. We can listen to nothing but K-Love, nothing but Christian radio, nothing but Christian hits, nothing but worship music. We can do all the things, all the podcasts, all the live streams, the intake, the word of God, and the principles of God, and all these really good things, but none of that makes the difference if we're not applying it to our lives. Today, we saw in Scripture that these Jewish Christians, again, they had the whole foundation. Jesus, again, didn't come to abolish their law. He came to fulfill it. They had everything that the Christian faith actually gets its basis on and its founding on. They had the tradition, they had the law, they had the rituals, and they had the head knowledge and we see them completely miss everything that the law is pointing to, which is love God and love people with a genuine love and a genuine faith. Paul is turning to the Jews and he's saying, hey, it's your turn. And I think this morning we need to allow Paul's challenge of it's your turn to be turned inward to say it is our turn. Where are we missing it? Where have we come up short? Let me ask this question. It's not a fun one. Who are we judging? Who have we compared ourselves to? Maybe it's some people that we think we have a moral high ground over and we're looking down on them and judging them for their sin. Maybe it's others who are actually doing really well in their faith and we're trying to compare ourselves looking up. God says judgment here. That's imposing our opinions on other people. Who is it? And this is a question that that I can't answer for you. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to dig into the word. You're going to have to go to God and just say, God, reveal what's in me. Where am I missing it? Reveal that to me and help me work that out. Well, this morning, I just want to pray through that as a body. We're going to pray through that together as we come to a close and just ask that God would cleanse us, that he would bring us to a place where we can truly love our neighbor, love the person next to us, not out of a heart of judgment, but out of a heart of, hey, I've been given grace. You need that grace. Let me just begin with kindness. So let's pray. Father, again, we just love you so much. Thank you for your word, which totally convicts us and hits us in the heart. And that's how we know that it's your word. It's not some man-made deal. This is straight from you. Lord, you say it's your kindness that leads to repentance. That's how we've experienced it, so may that be the way that we give it. Lord, you didn't change our hearts. You didn't change our lives by pointing the finger at us and saying, you need to get better before I love you. So why do we do that to other people? God, I pray that you would convict us this morning. That you would put the names of people on our mind this morning who we need to say hey I, I just need to forgive you or maybe we just need to change the way that we speak to them the way that we love them the way that we interact with them lord may we be people who reveal that same kindness and that same grace that we've been given May we exemplify that in our lives that others may come to know you and know of your kindness and your patience and your forbearance we love you so much and everyone said amen